Well, good morning. My name is Fritz, and I'm one of the pastors here along with Murray. And um, if there's anything that I or Murray can do for you, let us know. If we haven't met you, we would love to meet you. Um, I don't know if you heard when Amy read that passage, the second one, what Sarah said, I found myself sort of tripping up and laughing um, when she read that because it is funny, right? What God told Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to get to that in this passage, but I was thinking about this recently. I was out in Colorado at the great YMCA of the Rockies, some of our youth know that from RYM days, and I would get up early in the morning because I was still on Eastern time, and I would walk from where I was staying over to get coffee, and I would just be stunned to look up into the heavens and see all these stars, like without number, and it struck me that's what Abraham saw. No light pollution in the ancient Near East. Or campfires, maybe. And God says to him, you in your old age are going to have a baby. If you were in Sunday school this morning, uh, John probably doesn't even remember saying this, but he was talking about the... Um, the Israelites going through the Red Sea and how God parted the Red Sea and there's this wall of, of water. And, and in the water, you could see the little fishies. You believe that? It's a little crazy, isn't it? Somebody could part a river. Someone could walk on water. Someone could raise the dead. That is what this passage is asking you to believe this morning. To believe in a God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist, especially in the hardest places. That's what I want us to see this morning. Let's read our text this morning. Verses 13 through 25 of Romans chapter 4. Am I getting some feedback here or is that just me? And Matthew, if there's something I need to do differently here, let me know. I'm hearing the little thump, thump. That'll just keep you engaged this morning, right? All right, verse 13. Hear the word of God. And the first two paragraphs of this are kind of by way of review what we've been saying this whole series for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on Faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith in Abraham, of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead 
and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let me pray for us again. God, thank you for your word. We know that there are likely people in this room that think the idea that your word is your word is at best guesswork or maybe even hocus pocus. But God, your spirit can change that, can change that today. Would your spirit come for those who already believe and have put their faith in Jesus, would you strengthen that faith today? Would you help us to believe things that we cannot see with our eyes? And for those who do not yet believe, would you open the eyes of their heart today, Lord, that they may see and behold transcendent realities that are much more beautiful and glorious than they could ever dare imagine. The idea that they can not only be right with God, but they can be loved by God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said earlier, our passage takes a turn. We have been talking about Romans chapters 1 through 4, the first part where Tony talked last week about what the Bible calls justification, justifying faith, faith that actually makes us right with God, puts us in the right with God and His law. Faith, Paul continues to say, and if you don't think you need to hear this over and over, why does he spend four chapters on it? Because we, by nature and instinct, will go back to the law to be justified. And Paul keeps saying, faith, not works. Faith, not your worth. That God in Christ sees you way better than you actually are. That He imputes a status to you. Don't look to Abraham and David as role models. They blew it too. Don't look to circumcision and ceremonies and bells and smells. That will not save you. 
Don't look to your good works and your social activism. It will not save you. I actually was complimented a couple weeks ago for saying that rescue dogs won't rescue you. Go rescue those dogs. It's the justification of faith doctrine. Now, and again, verses 13 through 16 sum that up. We're not going to stay there today. We're going to make the turn with Paul. It's all tied together. But what he does today is he, he looks at Abraham's faith. He describes Abraham's faith. He recounts it. And we're going to ask the questions, what is faith? We're not going to give a catechism answer today. We're not going to give a theological definition today. We are going to describe the faith that we see in Romans 4. And that's where the catechism answers and doctrines come from. We're going to ask, what is faith? And what does it mean to live by faith? To trust in God when everything around you looks the opposite of what God says. As a friend of mine once said, when the promises of God and the providence of God seem to be at loggerheads. Do you feel that? And what I'm asking some of you to do today is actually to take your faith that you are putting in what you see and transfer it to Jesus. For some of you who have fallen, who believe in Jesus, who believe that you're justified by faith, but you have, as Paul says in Romans and Galatians, you have gone back to the works of the law. You don't really believe deep in your heart that that's enough. And you've drifted back into trusting your obedience or your looks or your worth or your status or what people think of you. I want you to transfer your trust back to Jesus this morning. But here's, I think, the crux of this passage today. Where are you hopeless? Where are you a hundred years old and God is looking at you and saying, you're about to have a baby. And all you can see is the barrenness and the death. And you need God to readjust your lenses so that you can see a baby coming. That's what I'm asking today. So I want to look at faith this morning. What is faith? What does it mean to live by faith? By looking at the faith of our father Abraham under three headings. First of all, Faith is beyond reason. Faith is beyond reason. Faith in the Bible is not the opposite of reason. Faith is not unreasonable. It's not against reason. It's just beyond reason. It is not irrational, but it is beyond what we can understand with our minds. Bertrand Russell, who was a famous atheist in his book, Why I'm Not a Christian, said this. This is how he understands faith. He says, faith is an excuse for irrationality. It's a conviction which cannot be shaken even by contrary evidence. Or, I didn't need Bertrand Russell, I had my brother-in-law. We had a great conversation and he said, faith is based 
on belief, not knowledge. We'll know when we die. That's what he said. Now, there is a sense in which what Russell says and what my brother-in-law kind of gets at, which is true, okay? We don't want irrational faith. I could have faith that I could run through that wall until I get to that wall. That's not what the Bible's asking you to do. Praise God. Children's sermon. Just kidding. Everything that we have discussed in chapters 1 through 4 is reasonable. For example, chapter 1, we're all sinners. Chapter 2, we're all sinners. Chapter 3, we're all sinners. Is there anything unreasonable about that? We're focused on Israel. You know there are at least 31 wars going on right now that we know about? Why is that? Because it's reasonable to assume that man by nature, even though he's made in the image of God, he has fallen. Something is not right with us. And we are not right with God. Is that unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to believe that even though God doesn't have to save us, he wants to save us? Is that unreasonable? It's reasonable to believe that there is a God and that that God has the power to save us. But where it's unreasonable and beyond reason, like a mother, you might say, does that mother really have to do all this for that child? Yeah, I guess legally. But what makes that mother want to do that? Something beyond reason, what we call love. See, is it unreasonable to believe that it actually takes God and his righteousness to save us. Can you save yourself? We've had centuries to prove that we cannot. The gospel is the power of God because it is the righteousness of God that saves us. Now, you say, if you're a little skeptical... You're asking me to believe that there is a God and that your God is that God and he can do miracles like verse 17. Look again at verse 17. This is a generalization of God's power. What does it say? That God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yes, I and the Bible are asking you to believe that that's what God can do. That he can go beyond reason. That God of himself can create walls out of nothing. In fact, he can create a world out of nothing. How he did it, I'll leave that to you and the scientists. I don't know, I wasn't there. But Hebrews says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created from zilch. Nothing. My mother used to make meals out of literally nothing, but there really was something there. She got it out of the fridge and she put it all together. God didn't do that. It was just in his mind and his heart and it came out of him. God can also, in a resurrected body, walk through that wall. Do you believe that? He can cause walls to crumble by his people walking around a city 
blowing trumpets and shouting, no weapons. Do you believe that? Well, let me ask this. Do you believe that you have walls in your life that you can't tear down? And you need someone greater than you to do that? Hebrews 11 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things what? Not seen. Faith is the assurance, absolute assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things we cannot see with the naked eye. In other words, faith is seeing and hearing things that others don't see and hear and living based on that faith. One of my favorite books I've ever read is called Peace Like a River. Anybody read it? If I get this wrong, forgive me. Because I couldn't find my copy. But my buddy gave it to me right after our son had been healed from a brain injury. And he said, I think you'll like this book. And I had all my theology about how I don't believe in miracles. And I said, okay, well, I'll read it. And I read it. And it was about, it started out in this hospital room and this man's son is dying. And this man is a, is a man of God. He's He's in touch with God in ways through prayer and communion with God. And he, he walks around the hospital and he prays. And all of a sudden, this child comes back to life. I put down the book and started praising God. There's a scene in the book where he is out in a field. And he didn't do this for show. He, he, and by the way, this is fiction in the book. But he's walking on a flatbed hay trailer. And he's praying. And someone sees him and he's just walking and walking and walking. And then the trailer ends and he keeps walking. And I remember thinking, God, if you can't do those sorts of things, I'm hopeless. Because we need a God who works miracles. We need a God who can bring life out of death. We're all going to be in Bill Trent's shoes one day. We're going to be staring death and the portal that leads to the next life. And either someone has been through it and can bring us through it, or they haven't. And what reason tells you is it can't be done. But what faith tells you, go beyond reason. A God came into this world... To break the bonds of death himself. For some of you this morning, we are asking you to believe what your eyes cannot see. Not unreasonable, but beyond reason. Things like the virgin birth. Things like the inerrancy of scripture. Even when you don't like what it says. Justification by faith and not your works. That your sins are actually forgiven, verse 25. He was delivered by his Father. Yes, he was delivered into the hands of men. But he was delivered by God for your trespasses and raised for your justification so that when God sees you, he doesn't see the, the, the failures of Fritz's life. He sees 
you in Christ. That's what we're asking you. We're asking you to walk through that wall of water and see little fishes. We're asking you that when your enemy gives you the business again, or someone says that critical thing to you, that you trust that God is just and vengeance belongs to the Lord and you therefore by faith though what you see is your enemies attacking you what you do is you trust God and you don't retaliate imagine if two groups of people in the Middle East right now believe that do we need walls to fall or not do we need a God beyond reason or just like us? Thank God faith is beyond reason. Let me give one more quick little application here. We believe in science. We love science. We love nature, but nature can only tell you so much. For example, yesterday I'm cleaning our windows and I stir up a nest of bees or hornets that are in our little wood thing. Didn't even know they were there. You know what nature told me at that moment? You're about to get stung. It didn't tell me, be kind. See, we need something beyond nature and reason. Secondly, faith is beyond reason. Secondly, faith is hard. Let's admit it. Pritch, you said a lot of encouraging things about believing this morning, but faith is really hard. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. In hope, I love this phrase. You, this could be a slogan at your house. You get a bumper sticker, get a shirt that says this. In hope, he believed against hope. Everything was saying, don't believe, Abraham. There's no hope here. This is hopeless. In hope, he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Amy read chapters 15 and 17, I think it was, or 16. Back to Genesis 12. Abraham is told that through his seed there will be many nations. Now, at that time, we guess that Abraham was about 76 years old or 75. And some scholars say that back in Abraham's day, not maybe it's possible today, I should have asked a doctor, but back then he probably maybe could have squeezed out a baby just because it was a little different back then. So God comes to him. I know some of you are looking at each other and go, well, this dude doesn't know what he's talking about. Anytime you go into the medical field, ah. but scholars say. So Abraham and Sarah could have been like, okay, we are still able to have a child, technically speaking. It would be the exception at 75. And then many, many, many years go by, like 11 by age 86, Genesis 16, Sarah's had enough. And she says, all right, we're going to have a baby. We've got to do something. Go into my maidservant, Hagar. 
hence Ishmael. Genesis 17, Abraham is roughly 99, and God says to him again, this is 24 years later, that he will give him a son, and this time, what does Abraham do? He falls on his face. I'm, I'm talking belly laughter. We're not talking a chuckle, right? We're talking, there's a couple of you in here that know exactly what I'm talking about, because occasionally you do it during a sermon. It's belly laughter. It's scoffing laughter even. You don't do that, hopefully. But it's not a joyful laughter. It's a skeptical laughter. It's like, are you crazy? Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred? Sarah is beyond motherhood. I'm sure she's been through menopause. Abraham is beyond daddyhood. And God says, this is true. Here's my promise. And this is what they see. God says this, and they see this. Where's that happening in your life right now? Where are you experiencing hardship? Deep hardship. Where you only see death and barrenness, impossibility and hopelessness. Can I just encourage us for a minute? It's almost sort of becoming trendy when that happens that we blame God and we go to God and we do the, the, the Job's counselors things. It's almost like it's a given now. And that's fine. Go through that. Work through your grief. Work through frustration. You have freedom to lament to God. Okay? But you also, you also have permission to trust God. Sometimes Presbyterians, we're the worst at this. We just hang our heads and it's like uh, the guy joked about um, he fell down the stairs and he looked up and he goes, glad that's over with. Because God ordained it. I had to tell you because some of you didn't get that and that's okay. Because I didn't get it the first time I heard it either. But what if, what if Presbyterians said, we believe in the sovereignty of God, therefore whatever God, our God ordains is right. And I'm going to, though I can't see, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to fall back and I'm going to drift and I'm going to struggle. But I'm, I'm going to trust him. Some of you have seen great, great deliverance and provision. Whether you were trusting him or not. But it actually led to you trusting him more. Some of you in this room are from other countries, and, and really by law, you shouldn't be here. And God got you here, didn't he? Some of you have come out of great addictions, and you shouldn't be free from those addictions, but you're being freed from them, aren't you? A couple sabbaticals ago, my wife and I were at a low point. Actually, not in our marriage. Our marriage was doing good because of the suffering, but it was a teenager, as usual. And 
we visited different churches around and we went to one church one Sunday and, and I remember we were at such a low point. We were driving down the interstate and I prayed. I said, Lord, speak to us. Yes, I know means of grace. Yes, I believe this is the Bible. Yes, I believe you speak through. But, but I, we just need a special word today just to us. Is that okay? And that pastor got to talk and he said, you know, before I go into my sermon this morning, I want to tell you about my son who just left for New York. And y'all all know how bad it was. And he started telling the story. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, mm-hmm. The next week, because nothing changed, we went to another church. And we prayed the same thing. The exact same prayer. The end of the service, the pastor said, now I know this is a little different for some of you people, but at the end... If you have a major problem, you've got something going on right now in your life where you feel hopeless, I want you to stand up and someone's going to come and pray for you. And I looked at her and I said, I hadn't done this since I grew up in my Baptist church, but we're standing. We stood, this lady came on this shoulder, and this guy came on this shoulder, and the lady spoke in tongues. I have no idea what she prayed, and I hope God understood her. I'm not making fun. I really hope he, I'm sure it was a great prayer. This guy, I could barely understand him because he was new to the country. But what he prayed, I was like, he knows. He, he know, did he listen to us in the car? Has he been living with us? I've started a book on prayer this week, and it, the, kind of the overall quote is this. If you want a boring prayer life, Spend it trying to be good in prayer rather than being honest. He basically says, whatever you struggle with in prayer, like you don't know what to say, start there. Be honest with God and say, God, I have no idea what to pray today. And maybe Romans 8 will come to mind that says, that's right, you don't. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and you find yourself praying for something. Or maybe you go to God and say, I'm too angry, I don't want to pray today. Start there. Do we believe that faith is hard? Yes. But we also believe in a God who does impossible things. Who brings life out of dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We believe in a God that walks through walls. Faith is beyond reason. Faith is hard. And finally, faith gets the victory. When you read Romans 4, it can seem like Abraham's faith is what? Perfect. As the great theologian M. Nichols said, Abraham gets a glowing review. Just, just look at it. He did not weaken in his faith. No unbelief made that guy waver. He grew strong in his faith, fully convinced. And you expect Paul to say, be like Abraham, go in peace. What's going on here? It could be, I can't pronounce this word, hagiography. Hagiography. It's this practice where you sort of, not, 
it, it's not the old rewriting history thing, but you go back and you look at people of the past and you make them look better than they were and you idealize them. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing. Because the Bible in the New Testament is honest about Abraham's sin. And it's certainly in the Old Testament. When you go back and you look at Abraham, he had a very up and down faith, didn't he? One day he's saying, I believe you. I'll circumcise my kids. One day he's laughing at God. One day he says, I believe you. The next day he's going into Hagar. One day he says, I believe you. And the next day he doesn't. And then one day his wife laughs and then he corrects her. Which takes probably a lot of courage and faith anyway. The Westminster Confession of Faith, one of my favorite chapters. Chapter 24. Go home and read it. Talk about it in your Redeemer group if you want to. Chap the, the chapter 24, section 3 says this. Faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, and it may often in many ways be assailed and weakened. Do you, feel, do you, do you hear the, the, the permission you have in that to admit that your faith may be weak at times? But it may be at that very place where God is growing your faith. And He's intent on growing your faith. When you are these inward trials that God employs to set you free from self and pride and to put your faith back in Him. Listen to what He said to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. But it does. Is Jesus' you know, prayer useless or not? does it not effective? No, because after he turns again, what does he do? He strengthens his brothers. I pray that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, the old school word for that is converted, actually. But he has to see Jesus in light of his failure, doesn't he? He has to hear Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Because I have this overwhelming, dying, resurrecting love for you. Do you see it now? And when you see it, take your failure and let your faith grow from that and go and strengthen other people who maybe are at a weak spot right now. Two other quick things here. I think what this is saying to us that God sees the whole scope of our lives regarding faith just like you might do with your own children. If you look at the picture of Abraham's faith, it's very up and down, but yes, toward the end, it seems like he's saying, Lord, I got nobody else to trust but you. Babe, come on along with me. I know I laugh too, and I know you're laughing now. We're going to trust God. But finally, I think what this is getting at, and I'll be honest with you, we read this in staff meeting, I have read it with elders, I, it's, it's really hard to explain what God is doing here. It's as if God is saying, if Paul's saying about Abraham's faith, 
that it is seen as way better than it is. Does that ring a bell? It's not hagiography. It's not haggard from that book series. It's not infused. He's not saying your faith is stellar and perfect in and of yourself. But it is almost as if it's imputed. That Abraham's faith is seen as perfect. It does get a glowing review in God's eyes. And in Scripture's eyes. How else do you explain Hebrews 11? The go-to passage about faith. Okay, let's just look at these folks for a second. Abel, we might be like, all right, the only thing we see about Abel, he was a pretty good dude and offered a good sacrifice and his brother was upset. I choose Abel. Nah. Enoch, we don't know. He's just taken by God and disappears, right? Hebrews makes him sound really good if you read it. And then you get to old Abraham with the up and down faith. Isaac, you might say he sort of had glowing faith. We don't, you know, didn't really get to it. But then you get to old Jacob. Jacob have glowing faith. Moses, at times, maybe. Degrees. Gideon, yes, no. And guess who else he throws in there? Someone you would never let be a member of your church. Samson. And he says, all these were commended. They received their commendation. They are heirs of the righteousness by faith. The confession goes on to say this. This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, yet, here's my favorite part, gets the victory. Growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both what? The author and the perfecter of your faith. Let me just close with this illustration. And yes, I've used it before. I asked M. Nickel this morning. He said, yeah, but it was a good one. Because in summary, this is what it feels like to do what Abraham is doing with what God says versus what you see. When things seem impossible and God says, I call things into existence that are not. I like to bike. And I've done several bike races over the years, none of which I was competitive in. I just did them for fun. That was all. But my favorite one was my first race ever because I helped build the trail. I helped put the race on. And there were all of nine people in the race. And I was not the fastest. And then I had the cool bike. And then I had the cool gear. And I started somewhere in the middle of the pack. And it was five laps around this three-mile thing. And I go along, and there's this guy with a broken wheel. Hey, you need some help? No, I'll go on, I'll fix it. Go along, and this guy's got a problem. And, this, and you just kind of get lost in the race. And I'm doing the best I can. Again, I'm not the fastest person out there. I'm not number nine, probably about number five or six. And my goal is just to finish this race, and I'm, I'm excited for the whole thing. 
I come to the end and I come flying through the end because I want everybody to see me with a big finish. And I get off my bike and my good friend is there. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And he walks up and he gives me the biggest hug. And I said, thanks, Johnny. Where is everybody? He said, who? I said, you know, Doug and, and John and, and Ron, all those guys that were in front of me, he goes, they're still racing. I said, what? He said, you won. And I said, no way. And then it dawned on me. I was so lost in how hard it was and the, the effort and the sweat and the mechanicals and the problems. And I missed, I, I missed it, that I actually won. This says that that's just what it's going to be like. We are going to be shocked into glory. Our sufferings those very places where God is saying, I want you to trust me here, will be swallowed up in victory. Do you believe that? Let's pray. God, thank you for the honest picture that we see of our father Abraham's faith. Thank you for the author of our faith. If we're Christians, we are all living, breathing witnesses that you call into life things that did not exist. You justify and make righteous before God ungodly people. And you give us your spirit to live lives of trusting obedience to you. Would you give us grace to do that today, Lord? Wherever you are speaking to each of us from this passage, Lord, Speak gently, clearly, and even loudly if you need to. In Christ's name, amen.